hello, good evening, everybody. <clears throat> so my name is Marcus Jarek, and this is my wife, Mary Kay. Uh, we've been married now for 10 or 11 years, de uh, depending on which anniversary, but uh, we will get to that later. Uh, we have one 90-year-old son, Isaiah, who is in third grade, and I think we have a picture of us. Yeah, there we are. <laughs> Um, I was born in 1982 and uh, raised in Vienna, Austria. I lived with both of my parents and I had one older brother. I went to a private Catholic school, but faith, church, believing in God was not a part of my parents' life or my life. Uh, culturally, we were Catholic as that was what was on my passport, but I really knew nothing of the religion. I knew Jesus' story through movies, Christmas and Easter. I always thought, what a cool story, but I was told that this story was not true and Jesus was a myth or a legend. Uh, I never heard the gospel until I was in my early 20s uh, when I met Mary Kay. I was born in Beaumont, Texas in 1970, and I grew up in East Texas with both of my parents and an older brother who were Bible-believing Christians. Our lives revolved around our church and our family. And I trusted Christ as my savior when I was eight years old at a good old-fashioned revival. My relationship with the Lord grew into a deep, mature relationship. I felt a desire from the Lord at an early age to be a missionary. I went to Baylor University and became heavily involved in ministry with Young Life, Canicuck, and anything else that had to do with telling others about Jesus. I was an overachiever in high school, and I brought that attitude into college, thinking I would stand out and become the best of the best, but I had to come to grips with the reality that everyone there had the same resume as I did. What I thought would be the best years of my life actually were some of the loneliest, and I developed an eating disorder and began to struggle with self-worth and depression for the very first time. Uh, Europe is a very dark and godless place. It, it was very common to give children a lot of freedom at an early age, and my parents did just that. I was given no responsibility and no discipline. At a very young age, I started drinking, smoking, experimenting with drugs, and having sex. In fact, when I was a teenager, my parents would allow my girlfriends to, to sleep over at our house. This was just the culture that I lived in. Uh, I moved out of the house at 16 and I lived on my own with no care in the world. Um, I lived without purpose until I was in my early 20s. And at, at 21, one of my girlfriends uh, became pregnant and she ended up having an abortion. Um, around the same time, my dad had a heart attack and almost died. This was really hard for me and I began to have irrational fears about death and wondering what would happen to me if I die and where would I go. After college, I moved to California and went through um, a dark period where I was struggling with the recent divorce of my parents, who had been the pillars of our community and church growing up, who, by the way, though, were remarried three years ago after being apart for 20, so go God. Um, so there's hope. <laughs> because I wasn't doing well spiritually, though, at that time, I began to experience the world for the first time. I began to engage in behaviors that were foreign to me, like drinking and smoking pot and even having sex, which is something I vowed not to do as a young girl until, I, until marriage. I then moved to Memphis in Tennessee and got involved with an amazing church and began volunteering again with Young Life. My desire to go overseas surfaced again. So in 97, I moved to Vienna, Austria, and where I went on staff with Young Life International and also taught at a missionary kids' school. 
While in Vienna, I briefly met Marcus a few times through one of my students. No real interaction, just a kiss-kiss kind of thing, and that was it. He didn't speak English, after all, and my German was very spotty. We joke that when we met, he was illegal, because he was. He was 16, and I was 28. He was just my friend Andrew's tall, Austrian, smiley friend to me. And she was just Andrew's teacher, Miss Langston, to me. Yeah. I moved to Portugal in 2000, and the next three years would be some of the best years of my life. I was thriving in ministry and in my relationships, but then I was hurt deeply by some colleagues in ministry. I felt abandoned and lost, and instead of running to Jesus, I ran to my boyfriend at the time, which then led to the beginning of a spiritual downward spiral and a very long and dark decade for me. I eventually moved back to the States in 2003 and landed here in Dallas. And it was the hardest few years of my life. I was in culture shock, and my life was turned upside down. I began to turn to the world to fulfill me again. I was angry and bitter. How could Christians be so cruel? So I wandered in the desert for a very long time. It wasn't that I had turned my back on the Lord. It was just that I had, didn't know how to praise Him in the midst of my pain. And church was the last thing that I wanted, but it was the very thing I needed the most. So I decided to visit some friends in Las Vegas in 2005, and during the three months I was overseas, my mom found out that my dad had an affair. He left my mother for another woman, and it's just rocked my world. Uh, In Vegas, I lived with our mutual friend, and Mary Kay came to visit him one weekend, and she quickly became more than just Andrew's teachers, and I definitely was not calling her her Miss Langston anymore. And... uh, A lot of things had changed since we met in Vienna just six years prior. Um, Now I felt completely in love with her. I eventually moved to Texas in 2006. Uh, I didn't have a steady job, so I thought, why not? Uh, But after three months, I either had to go back to Vienna or make my move here permanent. So we decided to elope while in Vegas on August 24, 2006. So that will be anniversary number one. I went with a girl friend to Vegas to celebrate my 35th birthday, and Marcus and I were reintroduced that weekend and fell in love. I knew he wasn't a believer, but in such, I was in such a dark place and so desperate for love and acceptance that I didn't even care. I even overlooked the fact that he was just 23 years old. I was enamored that he was Austrian, and that seemed like a sign that it was meant to be. Maybe he would be my ticket back to Europe. So I thought he moved to the States, though, in 2006, and we ended up eloping while we were in Vegas without anyone knowing. I woke up a few months later and wondered, what have I done? And so I began to feel shame. I realized that the day I had dreamed about my whole life and waited 35 years to experience was done in secret and in shame and with a non-believer. I also began to realize what my distance from the Lord was doing to me. I saw the reality of our lives and how hard it was going to be, our age difference, the culture differences, being unequally yoked, the language barrier, which is actually a funny story because I didn't realize until years later that he didn't speak English as well as he led me to believe. And I remember thinking he was such a good listener because he would just listen and laugh at my stories. I'm still working on my English. Yeah, it turns out that the first year of our marriage, he barely understood anything I said. So, great foundation. We eventually had an amazing wedding in front of our family and friends on October 27, 2007. So that was anniversary number two, which there we are. 
and he looks like a deer in headlights. And he had hair. I was just in it, and I was like, okay, I thought, what I just, what have I done? <laughs> I thought, if we had a wedding, then it would be legit, and the shame would go away, but, you know, things happen. Three months later, I was pregnant, and 2008, our son, Isaiah, was born. During this time, I started to struggle again with my self-worth. I gained a lot of weight during my pregnancy, and I began to feel very insecure and basically hated myself. I felt that Marcus was disgusted with me as well. I also didn't take to being a mother, being a mother that easily, and it didn't help that we were so isolated. I was so depleted spiritually that I was like a shriveled up prune. I had hidden my house for almost 10 years carrying this burden that I, the missionary, would choose a life separated from the church. I didn't know how to reconcile that. I didn't know how to thrive in the Lord and not have a husband who understood that part of me. I couldn't merge the two. So I just gave up and let myself go. The anger built up inside of me and I literally grew to hate him. I began to blame him for my unhappiness when deep down I knew my validation and happiness should come from the Lord. And our marriage suffered in every way. Marcus and I became like roommates. I treated him horribly. I was mean not only to him, but to myself and to everyone that entered my path. Through the years, I prayed for his salvation, and I briefly would see glimmers of hope that his eyes would be opened, but I would get so heavy from discussing it with him, like I felt responsible for his emotional well-being. It weighed me down, and I would get frustrated and angry that he didn't get it. I had thoughts of how I wanted out and what that would look like, and this is really hard to admit, but... I even envisioned beating him with a baseball bat at times, and it actually brought me pleasure. But I would never do that. But that's how bad things were. How do I stay in a loveless marriage? How could I survive being with a man without intimacy? Our sex life had suffered, and we would go years without being intimate. I didn't feel desirable, which then would push him away, this horrible cycle. But then things took a crazy turn in our marriage in the spring of 2015. Marcus came into my office and told me that he didn't love me anymore and wanted out, that he was done. Yeah. Uh, everything went really quickly after our wedding. And I depended on my wife a lot since it was a different culture and country and language and so on. Uh, we put our son first, which I thought as a great parent, that's what you have to do. I also didn't know how to lead. I was passive, lazy, which put a lot of weight and res responsibility on her shoulders. She took care of everything. She felt like she had to teach me about life because, let's face it, when we got married, I was a kid. Um, she even uh, had to teach me how to drive a car. Yeah. And that dynamic of our relationship became more like a brother and sister. She had basically lost respect for me as I had no clue how to be a husband or what the role really meant. Uh, the pride and shame that came from that led to anger and frustration on my part. I knew I was letting her down and I could see how unhappy she was. I started uh, we started attending Watermark on and off around 2011. While Mary Kay was a believer and a follower of Christ, I still didn't understand it. We had many conversations about Christ, but I just didn't get it. Um, I really liked the music at Watermark, and it was, a very, diff uh, it was very different that, uh, than a traditional Catholic service. But, but I noticed people in church and their vibe and how fulfilled they seemed. Uh, there were some services throughout the years uh, I would just start crying and felt something, but I would ignore those feelings. I remember Mary Kay always telling me that it's God working in you. 
in late 2014, I started a friendship with a female coworker, which grew into a full-blown affair. I felt that relationship could fix all my anger and frustration. I told Mary Kay that I was done and that I did not love her anymore. Later that night, I came home from work, uh, not sure what to expect, but I saw an immediate change in her. I heard it deeply, but she told me she still loved me. Uh, she asked if there's anybody else, and I lied to her and said no. But she found out the truth on her own. Uh, through that time, I started reading the Bible and began looking for answers. Uh, Mary Kay showed me grace each and every day. She was seeing me through God's eyes, which I did not understand. How and why could she be so calm? I even lied to her about not communicating with the girl anymore. Uh, she knew I was lying, which hurt her so much. Uh, but she still showered me with grace. Uh, we went to counseling and also started going to re-engage here. On the first night after hearing Susan Cox's story, I knew I needed uh, to surrender to Jesus. A few weeks later, after meeting with my counselor, uh, I went to Watermark. I was listening to uh, worship music and reading the Bible. And for the first time, I truly understood what Christ did for me, that there was a man on earth sent by our Holy Father, his only son, and his name is Jesus. He gave his life for me. He got punished, tortured, beaten, and nailed on the cross for my sin. I soaked everything in. I could not stop crying. I was so overwhelmed. I thought to myself, think about it. That is the most selfless thing someone can do for you, just out of love. Jesus died on the cross, so we can live free. I had an epiphany and feeling God's presence and praying to him. Save me, Lord. I'm tired of running from you. My life is a mess. Take it all, Lord. Take my heart, Lord. It's all yours. Forgive, forgive me for my sins. Uh, and that day I surrendered my life to my Lord and Savior. And by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, I was saved. <laughs> Preach. It was in those moments after he told me he didn't love me that changed the course of my life forever. I had a choice to make. So I chose to get on my knees in forgiveness, brokenness, and surrender my life back to the Lord. I began to pray for hours for forgiveness and for the Lord to show me my part in the breakdown of our marriage. I began to be broken over my sin and how I had treated Marcus. And in those precious moments, the feelings for him came flooding back. It was somewhat supernatural what was happening to me that day. And the anger and resentment and shame was just gone. It was replaced with joy and peace and love. And I, so I reached out to him and told him I wasn't giving up and that I was going to fight for our marriage. It was incredibly sweet what was happening with my relationship with the Lord during this period of time. It wasn't until a few weeks later, though, that I found out he was actually having an affair with a beautiful young girl. It was my worst nightmare that she was young and full of life and basically everything that I wasn't, or so I thought. Again, I had a choice to make. Do I let anger once again control me, or do I show this man grace? So I chose grace. I prayed, loved, served, and transformed in front of his very eyes. He did not stop his relationship with her for a while, but I continued to serve him. The Lord showed me early on that this was a spiritual battle, and it wasn't about me or Marcus, that this was about bringing glory to him, to God. I prayed for Marcus' salvation diligently, and I knew that that was the answer. By the grace of God, over time, the Lord revealed himself to Marcus, and the scales fell from his eyes. 
Um, my relationship with God and Mary Kay moved in the right direction. I loved God and I fell in love with my wife all over again, which I did not think it was possible. And um, I'm going to go off script here. Sorry, Susan. Um, <laughs> like, so she, gave me, a, she uh, gave me for my birthday a journal, and I never journaled before. And the first page, and I'm almost done with the journal now, so that's two years in there. And so the first page I wrote in that, I could not see you loving anymore and that I just want to be out. I, I just want to get out of this marriage. And, and so, yeah, it's, it's been, man, just God has worked in incredible ways in here. And I'm almost done with that. It was, yeah, it was just a sentimental moment. Sorry. But, um, We've come a long way. <laughs> after our reconciliation, we were doing so well, but little did we know we were about to walk through some of the hardest days of our lives. In fall of 2015, just a few months after our reconciliation, I got really sick and almost died. I had a severe reaction to an antibiotic and got Stevens-Johnson syndrome. And I was on life support. And it was during this time that my faith was strengthened. And the Lord protected me. And now I'm standing or I'm sitting here today. Yeah, those were some scary days. I remember thinking, Lord, why? Why would, you go, why would we go through this last year and come out of it back together for him to just die? It didn't make sense. It was... But it was touch and go, and, and I prayed over him, and I gave him to the Lord. And as he was coming off of life support and waking up, he began to witness to the nurses. It was incredible that just six months prior, he was running from God and wanted to leave his family. But the dark days continued. After Marcus got well, he was laid off of his job twice. Then last year, at age 45, I took a pregnancy test, and it was positive. I was pregnant. We thought, this is the big red bow to wrap up this hard season of life. We've avoided divorce, death, job loss. This must be our happy ending. See, I had wanted another child so desperately, but Marcus didn't, and I hated him for that. I grieved for a child that I did not have for years, but sadly, I lost the baby at 12 weeks, and we were absolutely devastated. I personally walked through a really um, dark time and watched Marcus support me, cry with me, and even come to his own revelations regarding having more children, which was another step in the healing of our, as a, for us as a couple, basically. Yes, I realized that I manipulated her because I'm selfish, and I didn't think our marriage would last. So the last thing I wanted was another baby. But once uh, Christ, uh, Christ transformed my life, and I was broken over the pain that I'd caused her, and I had to ask for forgiveness and also forgive myself. Because, because I had to grieve that we may not have another child because of me. And so we eventually became members here at Watermark and we began serving and re-engage. Uh, Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. That's why filling our minds with the perfect word of God is so important. By grounding our common sense in God's word, we, re we rely on him and not ourselves. And Matthew 6.33 says, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore do, not worry about you for, uh, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. 
And Isaiah 43, 18 through 19 is our family verse. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. This has basically been my life verse and the reason and the, um, behind why we named our son Isaiah. So I clung to it again. It was a promise that he was going to do a new thing in our family, and he did. He brought death to life and ashes to beauty. Our marriage is far from perfect, but now we have hope and we have direction and now know that we have to focus on ourselves first, fix what's in our circle, which I'm sure you've all heard, but it's so true. I cannot believe this transformation in this man. He is leading our home and he prays over our family. He studies the word daily. It's truly amazing what the Lord has done in his life and in our marriage. And only Jesus Christ could take this mess and make it beautiful. Thank you all for listening to our story of redemption.